0: Another good morning, church. <laughs> I, I thank you again um, for the past nine weeks, the opportunity to to be here and to be here and to preach. Uh, so maybe I'll try to talk down a little bit more. Um, next week, uh, Pastor Stephen will be back, so he'll be finishing out First Peter where I started. And then we'll be going back to uh, the Gospel of John. So it's it's been my privilege and my honor. Thank you for bearing along with me. <clears throat> and I uh, just wanted to say that uh, I truly appreciate you, your support, everything, all the kind words. So um, <clears throat> and continue to pray also for our pastor, he continues to recover and heal. Um, and I just want to jump into the message this morning um, of of this final, at least for me, the Christian journey and revealing Christ in your marriage. Um, So, you know, I typically know what people do, as I used to when I was younger. You hear the word marriage, and you check out. You're like, yep, not for me. I'm not married. Little kids say, I'm not planning on getting married. So, please, understand today, don't, don't check out on us. It's very important. It's vital to you as your future, your understanding of what marriage is, what the Lord may be calling you to one day. Um... And then also the revealing of what it shows us who Christ and his bride is. Um, so stick with me this morning. I know it's a it's going to be pertaining to marriage, but try to understand and take something out of it um, and take something away for it. For the beauty is in Christ and his bride, his church, who he died for. And you'll hear me reiterate that throughout the service, but I just wanted to make sure that you were with me this morning, okay? Um, so... Many of you don't know about much about my professional life. Um, You know, you you see me here at church or at Growth Group, and we we talk, and you may know what I do, but kind of how that came to be. And I want to share just briefly about that because I felt like this is a preface leading into what the day's topic was, as far as the text. And uh, so, about 10 years ago, at the age of 28, uh, I know I I look much younger than that, by the way. uh, I decided to go back for my second undergraduate degree. Um, i tell you, 18 years old, we were having a discussion yesterday, some of us, and it's, it's hard to determine what you want to do in life. Um, so I found myself about 10 years after going out of high school trying to figure life out still, still trying to in a lot of ways. Um, and I went back for a degree in social work. I kind of thought they complemented each other. The Christian... You know, worldview and, and social work, helping other people, doing other people's services, and providing them services and the things that they needed. Um, and you know, shortly after completing my degree, um, my new employer stated, "Hey, you need your licensure." So I was like, "Sure, I'll go out and you know, pay that and and obtain that and take the test." And I did. And I passed it. And uh, after you know, obtaining that lic- licensure, I started to look at the the ethics of the biblical worldview and that of social work ethics. I began to realize, I'm like, these two don't jihad too well. Um, They don't fit the the narrative of what I'm, as a believer, supposed to believe and then what my profession wants me to believe about the world in which I live. Uh, So many years I had to navigate through that. Um, as a student and then on as, after as a student into my prove- professional life. Uh, so about five years after that, five years ago, uh, I started thinking about graduate degree. Like, what can I go for? And I applied to a graduate program in social work. And I knew the day, though, would come when I would preach a message on marriage, um, which would call me to b- go back to the Scriptures and to hold... To what the scriptures teach on marriage. Um, so after that, I had to come to the conclusion of one of two things. I had to either give up what I thought I wanted to do and go and get my graduate degree in that or figure out something else to do with my life. Because what came to a big realization for me was both worldviews were clashing against one another. Um, there are some good things in social work. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people in that field, that profession, that do a lot of good things. There are Christians in that field, rightfully so, doing good things. It's just that I couldn't bring... Knowing that God has called me at times to preach and to proclaim the message of Christ, I couldn't stand here knowing that one day that I would be preaching a message like this. It could be shown on YouTube or some social media platform. And the Licensure Board of South Carolina could come back and strip everything that I was and everything I aspired to be. So why I say that is because in life, our view, our worldview, we have to count the cost. We have to understand that there is a cost to what we believe in. And we have to come back to say, are we going to believe this to be true, the Scriptures, or are we going to come to a place in our life where we say, yeah, I believe this to be true, but I'm going to kind of set the narrative for myself, and and I'm going to make these words in Scripture say what I want them to say to kind of fulfill what I want my life to be about. And uh, so, you know, because I I know at this point you know, all of us have to make decisions uh, about what our worldview is on this topic. This month alone, it our, our rainbow, the, the picture that God gave as a covenant sign, um, is being pushed on your face. You can go anywhere. I can flip on the TV. I can go to the internet. I can go wherever it may be. The reason it's important from a worldview standpoint is because you are going to be taught something. You are. And the big thing is is that the secular worldview on marriage will come at you full force. Now, Some of you in this place, you're dead set. You've got a scriptural understanding, a biblical worldview on it, and you understand. But I want to speak to the young people for a minute. Those who are children, teenagers, young adults, maybe you're in college. The full force and the brunt of secular worldview is going to hit you in the face because what the agenda and the narrative they want to set for you is not one of a biblical worldview. So before we can get into this, I need you to understand that is that you are up against something much greater um, than just, you know, this, this person lives this lifestyle. This person chose to live this lifestyle. No, it is a worldview that is adamantly opposed to what God has instituted and put in place. Okay? So, now, I do want to say this. And this goes back to honor everyone, love everyone. How does that mean we deal with people who are different than us? We are to treat them kindly and with dignity as we've come across them. Do we agree with them? No, we don't. We talked about this last week. But what we do do is we treat them kindly. We honor them, understanding that they too are image bearers just like us. And it is our job not to change the morality necessarily of their life, but to proclaim the gospel to them and understand that it is Christ's job that he will change them. So, you know, with that said, um, I wanted you to understand that about me. I have friends who know where I stand on marriage who are uh, openly uh, homosexual or open in their marriage. I'm not just talking about homosexuals today. I'm talking about polygamous relationships, open relationships. I'm talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about all these things that are counter to What marriage biblically is, so I have friends who are of those things. Do I hang out with them? Not necessarily, but do I befriend them? Do I treat them with kindness and respect and love? Yes, I do. I speak to them. Um, They know my stance. They they understand where I stand on the gospel and the scriptures. It's important for you that you don't. It is a it's a bad thing to be taught that you can't be different and have different thoughts than somebody or you're actually canceled out of their life. Um, Because that's what the world teaches, is that we can't disagree over things. Because if we disagree over things, then then you have no right in my life, no place in it. And I know with the few friends that I have, that that in the way I've engaged them and talked to them about these things, that has not been true. That that we have remained friends. Um, And I think that's what needs to happen, is we don't separate ourselves from... uh, people of that, accord in that way. That we, we love them, we treat them with kindness, but we also speak truth into their life. Um, so parents, I bring this up because the, the urgency is on you. It, it, it is. Um, and if parents are in a picture, grandparents, it's on you. Um, because if you do not teach kids, your children, a biblical worldview and help them to logically understand what the scriptures are saying then guess who will? Somebody else will. I can guarantee you that. The TV will. The academic centers they go to will. Whatever it is, social media will. Their friends will. They will teach your children for you. So it is your duty, parent, whoever is overseeing a child, grandparent, it is your duty to teach your child the way that biblical marriage looks like. And not just by word, but by application, the way we live it out, it is vital for you to understand that. Um, I read more and more things. I like to read articles and different things, and and you know that more and more Christians are just becoming to the point where they say, you know, that lifestyle. And I'm not just attacking, attacking one group of people today. All those I mentioned, as far as marriage goes, that the, that worldview. That lifestyle is being more accepted. Those lifestyles are being more accepted in our not just our culture, but our Christian culture, in the church today. As if these things are okay. And I read an article the other day that that more Christians today are accepting of that than are not. And that's troublesome to me. That tells me that we are not looking at it from a, a biblical standpoint. That we have not founded our children on the Scriptures And we have not taken them there and led them there. Um, And children, you're not out of the picture. Young adults, you're not out of the picture. It is your duty to also look at the Scriptures, not deviate uh, from those things. So this is a message for everyone, um, not just the married couples in the room again. So that's that's why it's important for you to understand. So as we look at marriage, I want to define two biblical views on marriage this morning, okay, before we get into the text. is is vitally important. So number one, marriage is solely between a man and a woman which was instituted by God. That's it. Okay, I think I already made that clear this morning. Marriage is solely between another man and another woman that God has joined together that he has instituted. So only that, nothing else. That is what marriage is by the biblical standard and definition of marriage. That may make some of you upset. Or maybe that frustrates some of you of what you've been taught and what you believe. Um, but I am going back to the Word. The second thing is this, and this is huge. It is okay for you to be single in life. I don't think you hear that enough uh, from the church. Paul tells us this in Scripture, that it is actually better for you to be single. Doesn't prohibit you from sharing the gospel. Now, does that mean anything bad about marriage? No, it doesn't. God instituted it, but it, 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 parents, we have to quit. We have to quit doing harm to our children by saying, "Hey, when do you get married, grandparents?" Same way, when you have, when you get married, when's that special person going to come along in your life? Maybe you got little kids. and they look cute together maybe they'll grow up and get married I know it's innocent I know some of it is but we have to quit putting that and instilling that into the minds of our children to think that marriage is the only way because God has called some not to be married and I don't think we appreciate the fact that there are some out there who are called not to ever get married it is what it is so let's quit doing harm as a church as a family as parents and quit forcing it on our children and allow God to work in their life and to bring that mate, that person, that husband, that wife alongside of them if it is his will and his purpose, um, if that be the case. And uh, so I felt like I needed to preface those things for the sermon um, with that information today. But if you take the biblical worldview on marriage, you will be, get this, understand, if you take this, if you take this road, you're going to be hated and you're going to be canceled out. Okay? And what I mean by that, look up cancel culture sometime. It means that you set your belief system on a certain foundation and that people are going to say, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with you. Your views are ridiculous. They're, uh, you're a bigot. You're all these type of words. And you, they really cancel you out of their life. Uh, it is a thing. Check that out. Um, and you will be hated for it, as Christ told us. And that is okay, because we are called to, to a biblical view on marriage. So now I say uh, all that to speak of how and why the application and the theology behind marriage is important. Now we're going to get to the sermon, all right? So I promise I'll I'll keep it within time. But I felt like those things needed to be put before we got into this chapter on marriage. Um, so if you don't mind, if you will stand uh, one last time with me. And we're just going to read seven verses out of First Peter. So likewise, certain in chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your... and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Um, You may sit down now. Thank you. So if you recall last week, uh, we're, bec- we're called to be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution. That's, so I told you last week that as Peter was writing this, he begins to break down institutions that we are to subject ourselves to. And now we get to this point in marriage. And it, it really ties back end up to that verse. We're, we're called to be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution. And as I told you last week, that's for the Lord's name. He has put institutions in our life, governing institutions, marriage, work, different things that He has placed into our life where we are to be subject to in order to understand that it is for His name's sake and how we respond to those things. It is His will, if you remember last week. So Peter uses an adverb here, likewise, right? So he ties it back into the previous section by calling the believing women into submitting themselves in marriage. Now, this is a huge issue among the feminist movement today, I get that, and among uh, other movements in the liberal agenda and everything else that... Wait a second, you're telling me to submit to my husband. I really don't like that term. Um, So, secularists, once again, take issues with these type of verses, while some husbands and leaders in the Christian camp have used them to manipulate their marriages and dishonor their wives in a variety of ways. So what I'm saying here is we have two sides. We have one side who says, no, you shouldn't submit to your husband at all. Be free, individualistic. Do as you please to do. Live how you want to live as a wife. You are not to be submissive to your husband. Um, Many names Paul has been called by that group of people. The other group are the type of Christians who use these verses to manipulate them, to twist them for their own benefit and to treat women however they want to treat them, through abusive means and different things. I will tell you, both sides are wrong. We don't hold to that biblical view here. That is not a biblical view of marriage. To mistreat your wife or to use texts like these to be able to push them under and suppress them down where God did not intend them to be. So, as a church, that is a danger. Make sure you treat your wife kindly and graciously. And we'll get into that. But it is not what it's getting at. And it's not the secular view that women have all the freedom in their marriage to do as they please. Because God has ordained it. So what, what Peter is writing here is that God has ordained an institution, right? Going back to institutions where wives are to submit to their husbands by recognizing, get this, their headship in the family and respecting them. Understanding that the Lord, through institutions, has placed the husband as the federal head of the family, as he, he is the primary decision maker. Now, I'm going to get to that in a minute, so don't worry, wives. This is meant to be an encouraging section to you. It's a hard section for the husband, actually. We're going to get to that in a little while, but it is actually meant to be encouraging to you. So, wives, it says this right here, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to reread those. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if, they, if some do not obey, talking about their husbands, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So, what do we see here? Wives, submit to your husbands because, one, it helps to win them to Christ. Maybe you say in this room, well, my husband's already a believer. Husband, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you being a man? Are you being a leader in your family? Are you expecting your wife to bring your kids to church? Are you expecting your wife to lead in prayer and the Word at home? Because that is not the biblical view of marriage at home. So, although it is not explicitly stated here, I believe what Peter would get at as well is grow them in the faith. If your husband is not who he should be in the home and he professes to be a believer, you should help them along by respecting them is what this submission is getting at, recognizing that God has put them in a position of authority of the family and helping them, one, if they're not believers, to bring them along so that they may come become of the faith or, number two, that they may grow in the faith. Verse 1 says this, Even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by your conduct, which is to be respectful and pure conduct. It goes back to holiness, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago, if you remember. Holiness, conduct, pure conduct, the way that, wife, you are to live your life out in front of your husband. It says, Although you may proclaim and preach the gospel to your husband, maybe it's not effective, maybe it's not working, what he really if peter says here is wanting to see is is your life imitating that of your words and the benefit of that could be that it is by that that they are won and I, again i take winning here not just winning in the faith but also helping to push along your husband who may not be as strong as a believer as you are Everybody knows somebody here that may be in a situation where the wife is a stronger leader in in the household spiritually? I definitely do. There's people. There's a lot of them. Wife, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Be respectful. Be pure in conduct. Understanding the position God's given them as you respect and you submit to them, knowing that God is at work submission is a desire of the heart that goes back to a biblical view of understanding that Christ is set for each institution its purpose. Listen to this, man. Kevin Young states, submission in marriage is freely given, not forcibly taken. So for your wife, as she, you know, maybe you go back to her with the word, it says right here, you need to submit to me. You need to do everything I tell you to do. That is not what this is getting at. And as he stated in his quote, submission is, in marriage is freely given. It's freely given. It's autonomous. It's independent. It's, it's the wife recognizing God's will in marriage and what Christ has done for her. And her, in turn, regardless of where her husband stands, submitting herself to him, understanding that God ultimately is in control of all institutions and he will break it, bring it back for his will and his good purpose. I know it's hard sometimes, wives, and I'm not a wife, but I know it's hard uh, to live in a situation and circumstance where you don't understand. But men don't think that you can forcibly take submission. It is that which freely is given through the cross. And wife, it is something you should desire to do because of the cross. So you go back to that list above. In order to win them to Christ and to grow them in the faith. So, Peter is talking here to women who have become believers before or after marriage. So, they lived in a pagan world. The gospel comes to them, the wife begins to believe, and the husband doesn't. That's true today. It is your job, wife, to go back to that holiness aspect, to live it out in front of your husband. Live in a holy conduct, pure, respectful. It does no good if you beat your husband down. Regardless if he's a believer, he's not. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 says this. Mike has already read this morning. I'm going to be going back through this verse a little bit kind of to correlate the two. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So I hope you begin to see that this morning. That this isn't just a physical picture, this is a spiritual picture of something greater. Of which he is the Savior now. Verse twenty four, as the church submits to Christ, also wives submit to their husbands in everything. In everything. We're going to come back to that too. So how does this happen? How do how do you submit? You do it because ultimately your desire is for the betterment of your husband. If you plan to get married one day, take this along with you. It is not, again, to push you down or suppress you. It is the understanding that I want to, as I go into this marriage, I want to build my husband up to be the godly man that he should be. So wives, live a life that reflects your inner beauty. Verses 3 and 4 say this, do not let your journey, or sorry, do not let your adorning, adorning, be external—the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear—but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I realize that word imperishable there again, kind of came back up, right? kind of interested in the very first parts of Peter he's talking about these imperishable things that are come but it's this imperishable beauty that never goes away Um, I wanted to read Proverbs 31, 10-31 to you just quickly I wanted you to hear this woman hear this man it's a great verse about inner beauty of of a woman An excellent wife who can find. She is more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her husband and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself, listen to this, with strength strength, and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the, the stafe and her hands hold the spindle. get this church but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gaze I hope you see uh, this is this picture of Solomon is writing here of inner beauty it's getting at the character of the woman and who she should be in conduct let that encourage you today let it be something that you look at and you say ah. I strive, I desire to be that woman that is a, that's a godly woman. Some of the things in, in the Old Testament you probably look at and you're like, what does that mean? I'm not saying to go out and make wool, clothing of wool or anything like that. I'm simply saying look at the character that's in the story there and build your life around that. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 3 do not let your adorn. Uh, sorry, I can't get this word right. For an educated person, I can't speak. It doesn't seem. Uh, do not let your ad- adorning be external. Right, that's what he says. So don't get confused here and make this a legalism issue. It- it's not your job to come in with head covering and you know all these things uh, that you know. It's not, it's not that the scriptures here in Peter's against beauty. That's not what he's writing for. It's not that you can't wear earrings and jewelry and make your hair look nice and, and wear nice clothing. You know, that's what the feminists try to say. Like, he's oppressing the woman. No, he's not. He's getting at something much deeper in the heart. Those things are fine, but if that's what you are, that's a problem. If, if your main concern is looking in the mirror in the morning before you come to church and wondering what people perceive of you on the outside as opposed to the inside, that's an issue. That's what Peter's getting at. So no one likes to get old, right? I'm getting older. Hey, man, heard that. So no one likes to get old. So we try to keep up with times, right? But wrinkles set in or... Hair starts to turn gray, I got some coming in over here. Just wish it would be more up top, look normal, but got some patching coming in right here. But you know, beauty perishes. It does. Beauty perishes. And, and and Peter is writing here to wives, why not invest in the imperishable? So beauty's perishing. And that's fine that you put makeup on and get dressed up and, and look nice. But as that perishes, why not focus on the imperishable? Why not look inward and say, how do I become more beautiful inward? The internal beauty that gets better with age, right? That's why I love seeing older couples, by the way, in the church. I do. There's a lot of wisdom. I have a lot to teach me. It's Marilyn, John, all you couples out there who are a little bit older than me. You don't know, you don't realize that younger people are actually looking at you. We are. We might not come out and tell you that, but we're observing, we're looking at your marriage, not to be judgmental, but just to say, man, they've made it this long. It's made that right. And I, I like being around those people. I like being around those people because even as they don't know it, they're teaching us something. They're teaching us something. So, as you grow in age, grow in inner beauty, because the younger population is watching. And I, I, I'll tell you this, they long for it. They desire it too, or they will. They don't, may not know it now, but they will. There's a lot to be learned. So we thank you, older couples. So how do how do women do it? How does it say they... They put off kind of the external, put on the internal with what? A gentle and a quiet spirit, right? It goes back to this idea that with that gentle and quiet spirit, there's honor and respect there. There's an understanding of, of God setting the roles in marriage. It means that you're not being a gossip. You're not being malicious. You're not being spiteful towards others or towards your husband. But you're living a quiet, you're living a peaceful life, a gentle life. Let me ask you this. Does this mean that you don't have an opinion, can't speak, or you get trampled over? No. That's not what Peter's getting at. He's not saying be quiet, wives. Be submissive to your husband, be quiet, and do what they tell you to do. That is not it. Yes. God created you as an autonomous being, a free being that has feelings and emotions and the ability to be able to speak. But what he is saying here is that in times, we have to suppress those things, put them down, and understand that my opinion doesn't always matter that God has instituted this role for a reason. I may not always agree with my husband. So I'll give you an example. If you we had several couples here who have adopted. I'm not one of those couples, but I imagine there's a great length of discussion that happens prior to that adoption. Can I get some head nods from those who, right? I don't, I don't think, you know, it, it doesn't make it right if I were to go to my wife and say, hey, guess what? Applied for adoption today. We're going to be adopting a child. Just want to let you know. Submit to that. It doesn't work that way. I don't think it would go over well, right? Well, we don't do that. Our wives have a voice. You have a voice. We discuss things. We talk about things. And then we pray about things as they come about. But as we do that, and in that example, say, say the husband's dead set. He knows that the Lord has said, hey, we're you're to adopt. The wife's kind of on the fence about it. What does this text mean? It means that the wife is to look and say, you know what? Honey, I, I entrust you. I entrust you that as a leader of our home, in this decision that you're going to make, that the Lord has placed you to make that decision. And, and, and that's what this is getting at ultimately, is, is entrusting the fact that God has placed your husband in your life. Y'all work together. But at the same time, you're entrusting Him ultimately to lead your family. And again, it is not a suppressive Thing. It's not an abusive relationship. It is one in which husband and wife work together. So you notice I placed some conditions there, right? Discussion, prayer. I'll ask you this, how often do you pray with your wife? It comes back up later in this text, so I'll go there in a minute. And as you focus on the sanctification aspect, I hope you understand this, it goes back to the very, I think, first three verses of, of Peter when he's talking about sanctification... This is what this is related to. It is taking off the, the old self, thinking that the external beauty matters, but the internal beauty is what matters, that God has created a new person in you. It's sanctifying. That's what Peter is getting at here, that God, wives is changing you, that He is changing you. And it's through that change that ultimately your husband can be changed. So wives, put on your hope in God. So verse 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husband as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So think about Sarah's life for a minute, right? Go back to Genesis Two accounts of Abraham lying. Genesis 12 and 20. He lied. Called her her, his stepsister. To get himself out of trouble. He puts her life in danger, by the way, by doing that. They couldn't have children. They came up with a plot to have children through their servant, Hagar. And then Abraham, uh, and then they run Hagar and Ishmael off. You remember that? Doesn't sound like the most charming of folks, by the way. I'm just saying. And then finally, she laughs at the Lord when he says she is to have a child in her older years. So why in the world does Peter bring Sarah up? She doesn't sound like a very good example of a wife. See, through it all, though, Sarah, this is what Peter says, respected her husband by calling him Lord. See, it's a term in endearment and respect. It doesn't mean that he lords over her. It's it's this understanding of position and respect. See, she understood her role in marriage. In their marriage, ultimately, she entrusted to Abraham... Because it says in verse 5, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their husbands. What was Sarah submitting to? She was submitting to the fact that she had faith, knowing that God and His covenant promise would be true. And think back to the story Ultimately. When you see your husband getting ready to carry that son off, Isaac, and he's told Isaac, Hey, you're gonna you're gonna be sacrificed, or told Abraham, go sacrifice Isaac. My apologies. That you don't think Sarah didn't have some thoughts there? Hey guys, where y'all going? What are you doing? But she entrusted to Abraham, understanding that he knew because he trusted the Lord. See, holy women who what hoped in God. Wife, do you hope in God? Is that where your trust lies? Not in your husband, because that's going to be a mistake, because we're going to let you down. But do you hope in the Lord? Do you trust in Him? Did Abraham and Sarah make some bad decisions? You better bet they did. Absolutely. But in verse 6, you hear that promise, don't you? Remember the covenant God had made with them. Do you remember it? And you, it says right here in in verse 6, and you are her children. Talking about those of the faith. Talking about the church. You're her children. Remember what he said to Abraham? You're going to have offspring. Through the seed I'm going to send. You won't be able to count them like the stars or the sand on the beach. That's what Sarah hoped in. She trusted in God through her husband. And listen to this. And you are her children if you do good. And do not fear anything that is frightening. This goes back to the suffering aspect, by the way, the frightening thing does. You don't fear anything but God. Fear anyone else. And if you do good. I said this last week. Over and over, Peter just hitting this home. If you do good. Because what does a good de- de- uh, demonstrate? It demonstrates your faith. Demonstrates when faith, when they are doing good. So it points us back towards the gospel and that God that you are entrusting yourself to. By faith in God, we are offspring of Sarah. That's what you are, wives. You're offspring of Sarah as you hope in the Lord. So let this be an encouragement to you. If you submit yourself in marriage, you are entrusting the rest to the Lord. That's what you're really saying. "Is Lord, I trust you. I'm going to submit to my husband. I trust you with the rest. Okay. Oh, And husbands, uh, treat your wives with love and respect. You don't get away today, by the way. To me, the text is actually a little bit harder on you. As an encouragement to the wives. Verse 7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, don't, don't be nudging your wives through this whole sermon. Pure conduct, submit to me, that kind of thing. Don't be nudging because, again, we have a, an adverb here, likewise, speaking to you. Live with your wives in an understanding way, or that means, or in knowledge of. First of all, by this, showing honor as she is the weaker vessel. And people take issue with that. It is not what you think it means. It doesn't mean that you treat them weaker. Matter of fact, the point that he is making here, it is that by God's design, that we are called to be protectors. It's this understanding that, it's a genetic understanding of men, men generally just are stronger. I think my wife's stronger than me sometimes, but... uh, Men are just generally stronger and women are weaker. So the weaker vessel is not hitting at the woman as in every area of life that women are weak and men are strong. It's really getting at the fact that men, you are to protect your wife. You are to be protectors. It's telling them to man up. Be men in your household. Quit letting the wives lead. It is your job, men, to protect. And listen to this because the second reason important they are heirs with you. What does that mean? It just tells you there's no partiality. Peter's showing equality. They are the same as you. Yeah, he just called them weaker, but only weaker in the sense of genetic and strength and those kind of things. So protect your wife because, why? Because they are co-equals with you. When you get to the kingdom of God one day, it's not going to be wife down here, husband up here. We are co heirs. That's why Peter is writing the letter about who are heirs of the imperishable goods in the very first chapter. We all are. Men, you are no better than your wives. You're to protect them, and you're to show them that they are heirs along with you, that you complement one another. That's what we're called to. Going back to the Genesis account, that when Eve was made to be a helper to compliment, we compliment one another. Listen to the danger if not. Begin to wrap up here. Into verse 7 so that your prayers may not be hindered. See the danger of that? So that your prayers, Peter gives them a thing. He says, You know what? If you don't do these things, if you're not protecting your wife and you're not treating her equally, there's a danger to that because your prayers could be hindered. So, two things here, men, fathers, you should have a prayer life. One, Peter assumes it in this passage, he doesn't say men have a prayer life because he's already assuming that you have a prayer life. So my question to you is do you have a prayer life? And here's a good thing, women. If you want to encourage your men to pray, pray. It goes into that aspect of helping them grow in their faith. Maybe they see you doing it and it pushes them along to them doing it as well. Pray. There's no assumption. It's assuming there, I mean, that Peter makes. Number two, Maybe you are praying. Maybe you wake up every morning and you pray. Nothing's happening. It's hindered. Now, there's a multitude of reasons that could be the case. But in this instance, Peter gives you one reason it could be. Check your marriage. It's like a car, right? If it's messed up, you're not really sure what's wrong. You're going to kind of work through various things to see and test it and see... Uh, Did this work? Okay, that that didn't work. Did this work? That didn't work. Marriage may be the very issue of why your prayers are not being answered. They're being hindered because you're not protecting your wife and you're not treating her equally. You're not loving her. So, are you honoring, protecting, and seeing your wife as an equal? Write that down because you need to ask yourself that question. Husbands, young lady sitting in the room. Those are the men you need to be looking for. Those are the men you need to be encouraging as you look for a mate. That's why it's important not to marry someone outside of the Christian context. They don't get this and they don't understand it. Oftentimes we as husbands can be selfish. Selfish. Listen to Ephesians 5, 25-31. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What a command, right? Just as Christ loved the church. Love your wife in that same way. Now, if you were in growth group this week and you studied the materials in there, we looked at 2 um, Philippian Philippians chapter 2. Right? What a command that is. Hey, husbands, love your wives just as Christ Love the church. That's hard to live up to. And gave himself up for her. You sacrificed for to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. It's your job, husband, be preaching the word, proclaiming it, teaching it in your house, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Get that? Love them as Christ loved the church. Love them as you love yourself. It's a hard one. He who loves his wife loves himself. Because we're one. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ and the church... For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, going back to that Genesis, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Husbands and wives, may maybe you have a great relationship in this room today. Maybe you don't. There's always something we can be working on. You don't have the perfect relationship. So I hope that you can take this and look at it. And you think about how how is the Lord trying to sanctify me in my marriage. And the reason for that. So that married couples may realize that they are earthly demonstration of Christ and his bride. I hope that you understand that. that so you see this intertwining of, of the physical and the spiritual. Physical is for application, but the understanding is that our marriage points to a greater demonstration of what Christ has done for His church. It is a picture of the gospel to the rest of the world. Marriage is. I think it is the greatest picture of the gospel. How you live out your marriage demonstrates more to your children, more to the people around you than anything else. You can proclaim whatever you want to, but if you treat your wife like garbage and people see it, guess what? If you abuse her, if you do any of those kind of things, suppress her, the world recognizes that. They don't want any part of it. Ephesians 5, 33. This is a profound mystery. Listen to what Paul says he's talking about. I am talking about Christ in the church. So I wasn't just talking about marriage. I wasn't just giving you things to to do. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. So I hope today as we leave this building and we celebrate our fathers that we also turn back towards marriage and we look at ourselves, at women we Strive to see the inner beauty. That men, we love and we respect our wives as equal co-heirs of the kingdom. And that as we leave here, understanding that it is all ultimately a demonstration for what? The Lord's sake. See, these verses kind of go together nicely, right? We read them. So I encourage you on that today. I encourage you in your marriages. Glorify Christ. For you young people who are still thinking about it, still looking around, still trying to find your mate, or you're thinking about getting married, seek out someone of these virtues, of this character. Don't buy into the worldview that's going to be taught to you. But look at the Scriptures and see what they have to say. Y'all can come up. I'm going to pray. Father, just thank you for today. Lord, marriage is always a blessing to talk on. Because it doesn't hurt us to hear it over and over again, Lord. Because we need that constant reminder of who we're to be as husbands, who we're to be as wives. Lord, as a church, what we are to expect of the institution that You have set before us. And Lord, even as a single person, as they they go forward in life and maybe they say, Lord, just use me. I don't believe I'm called to marriage. But they look back and they see marriage as this beautiful picture and example of Christ and His church, of Christ and His bride that he ransomed, that he laid his own life down for, him. may we be husbands of the same accord in the same way. May our marriages demonstrate the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are, all that you've done, and for the gospel message that is presented here today, in knowing that Christ purchased us. That's what he did for his bride. May we believe upon that. In your name of pray. Amen.